Hello again. <laughs> If you have your Bibles, um, have them ready at Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 7. But we're going to take care of a few things first before we jump into it. <clears throat> Um, last week, um, Brother Nathan started us off by talking of one of our three enemies that we're involved with as believers. We talked about the devil. This week, we'll be talking about the flesh or our flesh. And um, I thought I was getting the easier of the subjects, but it turned out to be probably the hardest one. So. <laughs> Bear with me. It's probably the hardest topic that I've talked about up here. So, um, so yeah, um, just wanna, we want to take care of a few things first before we jump into this. Um, the word flesh in Greek, sarx, it is used multiple different ways from Genesis to Revelations. And depending on the version that you're reading, um, if you're a King James guy, this word would appear 420 times from Genesis to Revelations, a lot of times. The New King James 3.37, the ESV 3.14, the NASB 3.19. If you're reading an NIV, it only appears 171, but again, it's, the point is, regardless of the version you're using, it's very important to understand when this word is used, it has different contexts at different times and at, at different points, it has different meanings. For example, When you're reading through the Bible, the word flesh, it can literally just refer to your muscle tissue. Like in Luke 24, when Jesus said, behold my hands and my feet, it is I, handle me as spirit hath not flesh and bone. That is not what we're talking about today when we're talking about the flesh in the context of spiritual warfare. Um, sometimes it uses the word flesh to talk about the unity of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one, one flesh, referring to unity. Again, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, sometimes it, it uses the word to refer to all of mankind. Acts 2.17, I, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. It literally means he will pour his spirit upon everybody at a certain time. Um, sometimes it uses the word flesh to refer to um, earthly achievements. For example, in Philippians 3, when... Um, Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh, though I also can have confidence in the flesh. And he goes on to list his entire flesh resume, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, zeal, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness of the law, he was blameless. And this can in some ways like, um, this can in some ways like be involved in, in spiritual warfare, like our own 
self, like me, myself, and I, what I have done to work my way to God. It can in some way, but I'm not convinced that this is what we should be focusing. I don't think that this is really our enemy when we talk about the flesh. So what do we mean? What do we mean when, when, when we talk about the flesh in a sinful context, in the context of spiritual warfare? We want to be more precise with this definition. So let's start with Galatians chapter 5. Let's read from verse 16 to 24. Chapter Galatians 5, 16 to 24. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But, you are, but, you, but, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, and revelries, and the like of which I tell you b- b- beforehand, just as I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, this is a key verse here to, to help us understand this. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passion, with its passions and desires. Okay, let's break all of, all of the, this down. Verse 19 says the works of the flesh. So the flesh has the, the, the capability of manifesting itself in very wicked ways. Works referring to something that you can do. Now if we go down to verse 24, the flesh with its passions and desires. Our flesh comes with its own passions and desires. So already we have a pretty good idea of what this is. The flesh, it manifests, it, it has its own passions and desires, and it manifests itself in evil works and evil ways. It has its own sinful tendencies, basically. So let's make it even more clear. Go to Romans 7, verse 5. I want to show you guys how I got my definition. I could just move on, but I want to show you guys how I got there. Romans 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, don't let that we were throw you off. It's just talking about um, past, pe- past tense. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, again, sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So like Galatians 5, and so like Galatians 5, we have the flesh, the sinful passions, and in Romans, it says at work in our members, meaning the physical parts of our body. But Galatians says kind of the similar thing, just in a different way, the works of the flesh, meaning it can manifest itself physically. And the only way something can manifest itself physically is through our physical body, our members. Okay, 
So now we take all of this information and we put it together and this is what we get. The flesh is your fallen, corrupted body with its sinful passions and desires which reside within it, which reign within it. This will become more clear as we, as we go along, but just the flesh is your fallen, corrupted body with its sinful passions and desires which reside within it. Okay. But before we move on, um, um, before we understand why the flesh, our flesh is our enemy in our walk of faith, why it's a hindrance, we need to first understand who we were. We need to understand what was, what was our relationship with the flesh before we actually came to know Christ. So again, in Romans 7, we were in the flesh. So what does it mean to be in the flesh positionally and practically at the exact same time? And I want to show you guys this. One of the earliest statements in the Bible where it talks about the fleshly nature of man is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Check this out. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Look at what the Lord says. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive. Plead with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Now we go down to verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man, and it grieved his heart. Um, this is our identity outside of Christ. This is what we are capable of in the flesh. Every intent of the thoughts of our hearts was only evil continually. And if every, and if sin starts in our thoughts, in our intents, then you can just pretty much imagine what, we, what the, these people here and even ourselves are capable, as we know, what we're capable of, of manifesting physically. There are no restraints when we are in the flesh without the Holy Spirit. Yeah, um, let's move on. There is no re restraint, perhaps maybe the, the conscience, but as we all know, in the flesh, outside of Christ, that can easily be ignored. Okay, so let's move on. And one more example I want to show you of being, of, of being in the flesh, our position, the, our, from a positional viewpoint. Again, we're in Romans. I want to show you guys this in Romans 1. Romans 1, we'll read verse 18 to 32. My throat is dry. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power in God so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in, our, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to, to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the, 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 the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the, the, the penalty of their, error, of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Yikes. That's, um, we suppress the truth in the flesh outside of Christ. We don't glorify him. We know of him through creation and conscience, but we ignore it. We're not thankful. We're futile in our thoughts because our minds are not new yet. Our hearts are still foolish. We still have the old stony heart within us. It's dark. We believe in God in our own foolish way. It's not true faith, but we, we, we make up our own truth about who God is. We worship creature rather than creator. And again, women with men, men with men use your imagination of what that means. We don't acknowledge God. God gives us over to our own debased minds. And the, basically what I'm trying to say is with this entire list in verse 30, 32, what I'm trying to say is as a believer in the flesh positionally, there is no spiritual warfare with your flesh. This is everything that we've just read in Genesis 6 and this part in Romans. This is who we are. This is our very makeup. We are in the flesh. We are simply acting who we are. We do not know anything different than this. We loved, we loved to live in the flesh. Romans 6, 20 says it this way. 
For when you were a slave to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. We literally thought it was freedom to be separated from God, from anything good. That was our spiritual condition. That was our relationship to the flesh before we got saved. Now, before we move on to who we are now, I'm not sure. Um, before, you know what, I'll say this. Um, before we move on, if there's anybody in the room here who is not saved, who is not born again, who, is, who has not repented of their sins, who is not in relationship with God through the Son, all of what we've just discussed, that is still you. You are still alienated from the life of God. All of what we have just read about being in the flesh, that is still your identity, regardless of how much you practice them. Um, it is still what you are capable of. You don't know life with God, you don't understand spiritual warfare because you haven't seen the other side of it yet. And I say that in all love, but it's, it's important for you to understand that if you're here and you're unsaved, the, the Bible calls you a son of disobedience. In other words, a son of Satan. Because if you are not a son of God, you're a son of Satan by default. And that's your neutral, there is no neutral, there is no in between. But this is what you can have here. Let's move on to um, who we are now. Who we are now. In other words, what is our relationship with the flesh as saved children of God? Okay. First things first, when we get saved, our total position changes. Now, what does that mean? Second, um, Second Corinthians 5.17 has been very helpful for me. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have be become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Okay, so we go from being in the flesh to not only being in Christ, but also in Romans 8 verse 9 it says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, so when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, he literally makes us into a brand new creation, meaning he does a total renovation job within. Ezekiel 36 says it like this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of you and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes. Okay, so let's go over this. When we become a new creation in Christ, we get a new heart, we get a brand new spirit, we get a brand new mind, because the spirit involves the mind, we have to understand that the spirit, because we get a new spirit, we also get a new mind, because the spirit involves the mind. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. We have the mind of Christ. And on top of that, we have the actual Holy Spirit dwelling within. Um... Literally all things have become new. All of the old things are gone. The old heart is gone. The old mind is gone. The old dead spirit is gone. Basically, what, what, what I'm saying is, this is literally Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with there is basically, there is no more two mans. There is no longer the old man and now your new man. There is no longer your old nature versus your new nature. You are now one new man with only one new nature. So where does the desire for sin come from then? Well, it comes from our flesh. There's only one thing about us. If you are a brand new creation in Christ, I want to press on this. You are something that has never been created before. Adam didn't, the, the, from Genesis to Acts, to the beginning of Acts, those people didn't have what we have. They were not new creations. They were like, Again, new heart, new mind, new spirit. We are literally something brand spanking new. And um, so there's only one part of us that hasn't changed yet. The mortal, physical, corrupted body, the decaying dead body, which is the only place where your sinful passions and desires maintain a foothold in your life. And it is the only place where those sinful passions and desires find you vulnerable. I'm just going to give you guys an example of this, if this is causing any confusion. Okay, I'll use myself as an example. I got saved at 19 years old. Okay, I'm 23 now. So I'm only four years in the faith. It's been a rough four years. So basically, for 19 years, I used my body's members as instruments of unrighteousness. I trained myself to sin. I have trained myself to operate in the flesh for 19 years. For example, with my eyes, I looked at things I shouldn't have looked for 19 years. With my ears, I heard things, or I listened to things that I shouldn't have been listening to, sinful things, like all kinds of music, and like with the eyes, all kinds of movies, pornography, etc., etc. With my brain, I thought things that I shouldn't have, all kinds of 
fantasies, thoughts of violence. With my arms and my legs, I trained violence. I was a very violent kid growing up. Even, this even goes to the, this even goes deeper than that. All of the parts um, of you that are responsible for like producing like hormones and dopamines, I took advantage of that as much as I could in a sinful way, of course. So I hope that puts it into perspective of, of, of what has happened. And um, so for 19 years, I trained my physical body towards sin. I built a physical attraction towards sin. My body was my own personal playground. All right. Okay. Then one day I got saved, and then a total renovation happened on the inside. But I still have the exact same fallen body. I still have a physical attraction towards sin, even though everything within me longs for God and spiritual things. The body is still the same. I still have all my memories of my BC life, and all of that is drawn towards sin. Sin finds me vulnerable in my fallen members. Um, One quick point that I want to make. We cannot blame, just because all of this is true, we cannot blame our, our bodies when we sin. Even though it's the place where all those sinful passions and desires lurk, our body does not control us. We make decisions with our will. In order for you to act out in the flesh, you have to basically bypass the entire new nature that you have. You have to bypass your new mind, which thinks to, you have to bypass your entire new mind, you have to bypass your new heart, you have to bypass your new spirit, you have to bypass the Holy Spirit himself who every step of the way when you want to make a sinful choice in the flesh is there saying stop, stop, stop. What you are basically doing when you are acting in the flesh as a believer, you are acting in a way that goes against your very identity. It's no longer who you are anymore. Um... When you were in the flesh positionally, you were simply acting who you were at your core. But now we are something totally different. We are something totally new. So when you sin, you're acting out something that you're not. So we only have ourselves to blame for that. Now, you might be wondering, to what extent can this go? To what extent can I, as a born-again believer, to what extent can the flesh manifest itself? Um, It's very important that we understand this. Um, Some of us might even have experienced this. But I'm going to say this. As a believer, you have the same capability to do evil 
as much as the unbeliever does. Even though it's no longer who you are, it's no longer your identity, you still have the capability, even to the point where it looks like the people we just read in Genesis 6 and in Romans 1. That's very scary stuff, if you think about it. We have the exact same body with the same physical attraction towards sin. It's very hard to go to this extent, but it can happen. So even murder, you don't need a gun to murder somebody. All you have to do is in a moment of extreme anger, punch somebody, and if he dies, he dies. You have that capability as a believer to act out in the flesh. I even have a personal story with that. Um, when I was one year in the faith, um, I got into a fight with somebody. And it literally took somebody else to break us apart. And even after we were separated, I looked at him and said, I am going to kill you. And I like actually meant it as a believer. Now, if you're thinking, well, Brendan, maybe you weren't a believer at that time. Okay, I'll tell you why, how I knew I was a believer. Because in my life before Christ, the way I would have responded to that would have been, yeah, whatever, who cares? But the way that I responded to it afterwards, I said to myself in the grief of my heart, I have given people a reason to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. That's how I knew. You are capable of very wicked things as a believer if you let the flesh rule over you. Be on guard. That's a warning. Be on guard. Just because the flesh is no longer your friend doesn't mean it's not your enemy. So what do we do about all of this? Well, I didn't really dig much into this, but I, just, I, know, I know of two things. Romans 13, 14 says, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That word provision there means forethought. Meaning sinful behavior always begins in the thought life. So don't, don't think ahead to it. Don't even give it an opportunity. Don't, like, don't start thinking of it. Don't, give it. don't start planning ahead. Don't even give it that inch because as soon as you give it that inch, it'll take a foot and eventually what you have is a domino effect and you have a bunch of wreckage. So be on guard. Don't make no provision for it. Don't put any forethought into it. Don't plan ahead. Don't, don't even let it start to stir up in your mind. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, put to death your members which are on earth. Romans 8 says it a little bit differently. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Now, um, 
put to death the deeds of the body. The best example I can think of of this, um, for example, um, let's say I have a street, an, an extreme addiction to, to TV. And um, I, let's say um, I've gone to the extreme of even taking my TV out of my house. Um, but I walk into somebody else's house and I, and I see with my eyes a TV and all of a sudden I feel something stirring. I feel my flesh stirring. Put to death the deeds of your members. If you have to turn around and walk back out, do that. Put it to, to death right then and there. The Lord said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If you have to go to extreme measures to literally physically take stuff out of your life, go and do it. Obey. Don't do it. Walk in the Spirit. What you have to understand is that you are fighting from a position of total and complete victory. Um, I have a feeling I should end this. I don't know. I just have a feeling I should end this. I think I will. We'll end it with, um, with Romans 7. Maybe just end on a good note. I think we've covered the basics. Romans 7. Look at what Paul says. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For as long as we live on this earth, there will always be a physical attraction to sin because of our members. But one day when the Lord comes back, we're raised from, our bodies are raised from the dead and we're given a newly redeemed, resurrected body. We'll finally have a glorified body that um, matches with our new nature, that matches who we are. And one day, we'll finally be free from the presence of sin. We'll be totally free from the power of sin. We'll be able to worship the Lord Jesus without any kind of hindrance. That's all I have.